Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plane, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Yarns from the Plane. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. And if you're a returning listener, it's really glad to have uh, have you back. Hope you're feeling okay. I hope you're nice and rested. And uh, that the weather has been treating you as well as it has been us here in the UK. We've had a few days now of lovely spring-like weather. A little bit colder today than it has been over the last few days. But uh, the sun is shining. The spring flowers are open, the tulips in my front garden are gorgeous and therefore sat here in the sunshine upstairs with my knitting on my lap, all is right with the world. So, how are you all doing? I've had a couple of Saturdays now, the last two Saturdays where I've done lots of yarny things so it's been really nice, so I've got quite a bit to talk to you about. Last Saturday was the spinning guild meeting and we had a visiting guest speaker Patricia Ackroyd who came to talk to us about the British wool revival and yesterday I went on a Mobius knitting Mobius can't even speak now Mobius knitting workshop with Heike Gittings at Fibre and Clay so I've got quite a bit to tell you about from there as well so let's Let's make a start with the British Wool Revival. Now, Patricia Ackroyd made one of those lovely sights for sore eyes when um, she stood up to do her talk. She was dressed as, I suppose many of you would sort of recognise as possibly a home county stereotype. Um, She's in her early 60s. Not large, but not slender. Um... She was wearing navy trousers with navy um, loafers, possibly snaffle loafers, um, a navy jumper with a uh, v-neck with a pink blouse, a string of pearls that sat at the perfect length just outside the ribbing of the v-neck sweater. Uh, And then she had um, blonde hair that came down below her shoulders and was held back, I think, with an Alice band. So to me, she looked quickly home counties, slightly Jim Carnery. Um, those of you who, who are in England may well recognise what I mean by that. Um, I ex- uh, expected her when her and her mouth to sort of come up with a bit of a Sloan Ranger type voice and was absolutely delighted that when she started to speak, she spoke with a broad Yorkshire accent. Now, Patricia Ackroyd has set up um, a, her own company solely with the aim of promoting um, the British woolen industry. So I thought that rather than try and tell you what I could remember, I'd actually go and have a look and see um, on her website what she may have. And she have a wonder, she had a wonderful section um, in her section about her heritage. So I thought I would actually read that out for you. I'm not going to attempt the Yorkshire accent. It'd be a little insulting and uh, would possibly sound up, come out sounding far too much uh, like my my granddad, which possibly wouldn't be a good thing since um, my memory of my granddad's Yorkshire accent 
is influenced heavily by the fact that he lost his voice box when I was two uh, and therefore didn't speak like normal people did. So, anyway, uh, reading from Patricia Ackroyd's website. Um, here's a, a little bit of the background of why she came to set up her meeting and why she is now going around and talking about the Prince of Wales campaign for British wool and advocating British wool everywhere. So this is directly from her website, which can be found at www.acroydanddawson.com. Our heritage. From the time I was a little girl, I was remotely aware of our family's involvement in the wool industry. Then, in Bradford and Queensbury, almost everyone had some connection in one way or another. It was not until I was much older that I discovered how significant our families were to the trade. The Ackroyds on my father's side had mills in the 19th century all over Bradford, and the Dawsons started out as wool combers and became world-famous cashmere yarn spinners. Our family were brothers, uncles, nephews and sons of the very famous men, William Ackroyd and Joseph Dawson. We hold a proud heritage... All family members came together with other firms to make Bradford the wool capital of the world. My great-grandfather, Herbert Harrison, was a weaving manager for Titus Salt at Salt's Mill in Salter. I remember my grandfather, Alan Dawson, who was the mill manager for Spates Mill, owned by Elmsley, on Broad Lane at Leicesterday, Bradford. He would come and take me across the Grand Mill Yard into the mill to see the weaving ladies. They were weaving on the great Hattersleys, and the noise was incredible. What I do remember are the huge Victorian gates that were at the entrance to the mill yard from Broad Lane. They would swing open to let the lorries in loaded with the wool bales. In earlier times they would have been horse-drawn carts. It was something to see, the entryway, beginning with the cut in the curbstones lifting off the cobbles. Two years ago I went on a special quest to visit all the old family mill sites. I was horrified to find the magnificent stone mill of spates torn down and a brick and plexiglass IT firm in its place. All that remained to hint at the grand mill complex was the cut in the curbing at the site of the mill gate, and just the very edge of the cobbles under the tarmac. I don't think many would even take notice. My grandparents' home was still there. William Ackroyd's mill site is standing, but taken over by a number of smaller firms of various sorts. On the site of Joseph Dawson's mill yard stand Howard's scouring mill, of all the other sites across Bradford, at Killinghall, Fackley and others, nothing remained but rubble, overgrown lots and public housing. My cousin pointed out that the old mills are either turned into flats or burned down. Some have been turned into museums. I came away disillusioned and awakened from my state of false passivity. What angered me the most was that this was an industry that has been the mainstay of the economy of this island for thousands of years and in my lifetime has been lost to cheap synthetic oil-based fibres shipped in from China and Southeast Asia. Not only have we lost our industry, but with that our jobs and our skills, not to mention our national pride. I spoke with my sister and best friend, and said I refuse to believe that it is impossible to produce the wonderful wool and worsted cloth and suiting available in our youth. So we formed a limited company, Ackroyd and Dawson, and set about the task of connecting the dots. We worked from the sheep and shepherds, answering their difficulties and helping them find solutions, to locating processes and convincing those that wanted massive minimum quantities for processing, that there is a noblesse oblige afoot, and that if the trade and economy of this island is to survive, then they need to do their part and make concessions to help the smaller producers get started. 
I am proud to say that the company's first run of cloth is complete, and we are very pleased with the result. This first run was our proving ground. I started with a local shepherd who raises North Country mules crossed with a Suffolk ram. This gentleman started out a naysayer. He did not see how it could be done. For thirty-five years he had been shearing his flock and taking the clip to the wool board, getting less and less per kilo, and leaving it, sometimes out in the rain, being told his wool was worthless. I made a deal with him. I said that if he fed up his sheep over the winter and through lambing, which would mean there would be no break in the fleece, I would give him five pounds per fleece, each fleece being between 2.5 and 3.5 kilos each. He agreed, and the next year's clip was amazing. I took 23 kilos of raw wool to be processed and got back 16.1 kilos of spun worsted yarn on the cone, oiled for weaving. It has been woven into 36 metres of cloth, part in a twill and the other part in a plain weave to show the difference. We are now into a second run using Shetland hogs. Our third run is in the planning, which will be a Shetland or Blueface Leicester alpaca blend. I was told that because of the state of wool on the backs of the sheep in the British Isles, cloth that was not itchy could not be produced. I have proven that to be incorrect with our very first run. Now, I found her a fascinating woman to listen to, um, for a number of reasons. One, because, you know, hey, I'm a yarny. Um, but secondly, because of my own heritage. My grandfather was born in Yorkshire and was a Yorkshire miner. But his grandfather had worked in the woollen mills, not far from Bradford, so could well have had something to do with her family. I don't know who owned the mills he worked in, I'm not even sure which work mill he did work in, but he was a, a carder. So he would work worked in the factory, carding the wool, ready for spinning. Um, and I found it really, really interesting. She is a very driven woman, um, and therefore always interesting to listen to. I find driven women. She is convinced that her company can produce yarn. She is convinced that her company can produce cloth, fine cloth, that can be suited, used for suiting or for jacket weight, that is sheared from British sheep, that is scoured and carded and combed in Britain, that is spun into yarn in Britain and then woven into cloth in Britain. The numbers involved in terms of, of how many places there are left in Britain that scour fleece, ready for spinning. You're talking two, three, same for carding, same for the spinning. It, it's just horrific in terms of this wonderful industry having been crippled, if you like, by this idea that merino is the only wool that's worth making cloth from. Um, the trouble is it's so fine merino that it doesn't isn't as hard wearing as British breeds are um, and her point is that British breeds shouldn't just be left for carpeting or insulating your loft which is what happens to the vast majority of the, the British wool that is produced here um, and she's set out with this vision that she can do it and, and she has done it and it's just wonderful. 
I dread to think what the price is. Um, haven't quite got the courage to inquire. Um, but she showed us a jacket that she had had um, made, bespoke ta tailoring, using um, cloth that her company had had produced that was a, I think it was a Blueface Lister and Alpaca blend. And it was stunning. When you held the jacket in your hand, it felt heavy, as a wool jacket would. But when you put it on, it just was so light. It was gorgeous. And something that I'd never thought about before, when even when I have bought a wool suit, because I do like beyond wool suits, she'd made sure that it was lined with linen. Because wool is a natural fabric and needs to breathe. And if you line it with viscose, you're stopping it breathe. And it just doesn't work and breathe in the same way and therefore not crease in the same way and it was just absolutely beautiful it was just absolutely stunning i i found her really interesting um to listen to she is traveling around speaking to guilds because as she was getting this going the prince of wales decided to launch a campaign for british wool very much to revive the british wool industry and the wool board got in touch with her, uh, I think. Or did she get in touch with the wall board? I can't remember. But anyway, she now travels around and promotes British wool and is an advocate for them, really, um, encouraging guilds to um, have shows, do a sheep run, you know, get some... You, she gave us the forms um, that you can apply to the council to to have you know, a, a small area laid over to have some sheep in hurdles um, to allow people to come and feel it, to find out all about British wool. Um, and she is she is a one-woman whirlwind, but obviously determined that she can make um, she can make this happen. And I have to say, having felt the quality of the cloth um, that her coat was made from, I have got serious 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 wool envy I I would love to have a suit um, made from her fabric so you know I don't know maybe I need to start saving now maybe I'll be able to afford it in about five years I should imagine bespoke tailoring is not cheap um, and I should imagine the small numbers involved make this you know, a more expensive option than cheap imports. But I'm wondering if in these days of, you know, financial strain everywhere, in many ways maybe what... And, and, and this kind of ties in a little bit with what I'm doing with my eating. Um, that maybe the idea is to consume less but pay more. Which sounds very strange, but um, in terms of food, I've decided that um, rather than buy the cheaper bits of meat under the value um, labels at the supermarket, that I'd rather buy the free-range um, meats and you know, or meat from um, farm shops, but just buy less of it and consume less of it. So do better quality um, in terms of animal husbandry, and I think maybe you know the name same thing is going here with the. Uh, the cloth 
um, in this. But it's absolutely fascinating. And her website has lots of information about the background, but also about the services she offers um, to a, a great many people. Because obviously they're aiming their products at um, tailors and designers, not so much at people from um, the open market looking to buy the fabric. She's looking to buy it for designers. Oh, to, sorry, to make it for for designers. So but there's a, a very interesting website that's got some interesting um, video clips and information from the Wool Week sheet run last October, I think it was. Um, they had, you know, they ran sheep up Stroud High Street. And, uh, no, not, oh, maybe it's Glastonbury High Street. I'm not sure. Stroud, Glastonbury, could be both of them. I don't know. Anyway, certainly somewhere down in Gloucestershire. Um, and Somerset but it was just you know really really interesting so if you do want to find out more um, about Patricia Ackroyd and her determination to revive the British wool industry then I would advise you to go and find her website um, and find some more information I ridiculously um, didn't have a camera with me so I didn't take any photographs um, from the talk, but it was really, really interesting. Her website is www.acroydandawson.com and I'll put the links in the show notes. So that was Spinning Guild, and uh, that brings me on nicely to the fact that I have dusted down poor Maddie the Traddy, who hasn't been used for <coughs> six months. And uh, took her to spinning last week and was delighted to say that I actually remember how to do it and uh, managed to get her spinning quite quickly. I've done, still working on the gorgeous um, yarn that I'm making from the Pick Perfect fibre that I bought at iNit. I'm saying it's beautiful yarn. It's not beautiful yarn at the moment. It's beautiful fibre. I'm hoping it will become beautiful yarn. I've got four bobbins full of singles now and I think what I need to do is make a decision now on whether I'm going to um, Navajo ply it, you know, which is that chain plying so that you're making it three into a three ply chain, whether I'm going to three ply it or whether I'm going to four ply it. I want a sort of a worsted iron weight, I think. Um, the Navajo plying will mean that the colours won't splurge too much together, whereas obviously I'm trying to ply from three or four of the bobbins and I'm not going to be able to make the purples and the greens match up um, but I think what I probably need to do is actually swatch some small amounts of it and see what I think of it um, I've tried very hard to make sure that the singles are a consistent size but I have failed on that um, I'm sure I have So, but it is just gorgeous and I think it's time to maybe before I spin up the rest of it, just make a decision about what I'm actually going to make it into yarn-wise. Because I know what I want to make it into once I've made it into yarn. I want to make a lisle out of it. But um, obviously it would sort of help if I have an idea of whether I can actually make yarn the right um, size. So, But there we are. Maddie the Traddy is dusted off and back in service, which is delightful. And I've not forgotten how to spin, so that's really good. Um, so that was last Saturday. Yesterday... I went to um, a me, me... I can't say it. Talk about... Here I am. Maths geek extraordinaire, and I can't even pronounce it. A Mobius knitting workshop at Fibre and Clay. 
The tutor was Heike Gittins, who is, um, I think she's German originally, she lives in Wales now. She's a rowing consultant, but also does freelance work. Um, so she does workshops um, all over, mainly the northwest, but I think she does go over to um, Newcastle to do some things as well. Um, but it was really, really interesting. I have seen Mobius Knitting, several people, you know, tried it. Um, I've seen those felted Mobius baskets where the handle is Mobius Knitting. Um, I've seen lots of different cowls and I've attempted to watch Cat Bordy's YouTube video about casting on, um, which is just, well, I can't, I can't follow it. Um... <laughs> Like some of the people in the in the knit group, I get slightly distracted by being able to see her feet, which is really silly. Um, but I'm a bit of a butterfly brain, and I can't really sort of remember that. If you're not at all sure what a Mobius is, um, then what I suggest you do is pause the podcast for a moment and go and find yourself a roll of sellotape or a print stick and a little strip of paper. It doesn't need to be long, um, strip of paper, you know. Um, 15 centimetres, 6 inches will be fine. Um, finish, but uh, come and get yourself a, a piece of paper. Okay? Right, did you get, get it? Got your paper? Got a way to stick it? Fantastic, okay. So you've got a strip of paper, and I want you to curl it up so that the two short ends meet, so that you've made a loop. Okay? And if you ever made paper chains as a child, then you'll recognise this shape because this is just the kind of shape that you make in a, a paper chain loop. All right? But you're not going to stick the ends together right now. Okay? What I want you to do with one of the ends, twist it. Just do 180 degrees so that instead of sticking it round to make a complete chain, when you stick it now, you've got a chain but there's one twist in it that's all you need just one twist okay and fix that with either um, sellotape or glue okay fixed it fantastic right I should have told you to you need to go and get a pen or a pencil as well so if you need to pause and go and get one of those got one fantastic okay so what you're going to do now is you're going to draw a line around your Mobius strip. This is a Mobius strip. Okay, it's a mathematical, I don't know if you call it a mathematical model or a mathematical shape. I'm not sure that they, you know, it's, it's a concept really more than anything else. But what I want you to do is I want you to put your pen or pencil down somewhere on that line, on, on that Mobius strip. And I want you to draw a line. You're going to draw a line all the way around that goes down right down the middle of the strip. Okay, you'll have to keep moving the strip slightly. When you get to the twisty bit, you might have to just jiggle it around a bit. But I want you to keep going all the way around. All the way around, all the way around, all the way around. Until you find that you've got back to where you started and you can join your line up. Now, if you pick up your Mobius and have a look at it, you'll see that you have drawn one continuous line... But it's gone all the way around the Mobius, and it appears to be top and bottom. All right, so on either side of the Mobius strip. 
And that's because a Mobius strip actually only has one surface. It's a mathematical shape that has just one surface. And where you've drawn that line on it, on that one surface, that's why it looks like it's on either side. Okay? Because it's only got one surface, although you can see two edges to it, if you were to stick your finger and run it all the way around, although be careful, you might get a paper cut, um, all the way around, you would find that, again, you would go all the way around and you would touch everything that was an edge on that shape, but you would come back to the point where you started. And what that means is that you can use that when you're knitting to make a tube that has a twist in it that has just one edge, if you like, and it becomes the edge that you cast off. And so what Heike showed us, she showed us a way of casting on for the Mobius knitting that is significantly easier than cat bodies, although it is tricky as you're doing it, and it's uh, a, a big tip here is if you're going to do any casting on for any Mobius knitting, you need a very long circular needle, and you need to be quite loose in your casting on, um, because what you do is you cast on half the number of stitches that you will need for the finished item, and then you pick up a stitch between each of the cast on stitches going round again. So you end up making a, it looks like a kind of a, a zipper, if you like. Um, so you get, you've got two cables, two parts, well, two parts, obviously it's the same cable, but two parts of your circular needle cable side by side with um, interlocking stitches. One on one side, one on the other. So makes it look just like a little zipper. And stitches. One on one side, one on the other. So makes it look just like a little zipper. As you knit round on it, the first few rounds can be a bit twiddly. Um, but then once say, you, you start to space out, um, you begin to make your tube. You'll find that your cast on is exactly in the middle of your growing tube with the twist in it. So you cannot see your cast on edge because it is in the middle of your knitting. And I know that sounds like it's mind-blowing, but until you try it, it's quite hard to understand why it's like that. As you go round, you're knitting on the edge of your Mobius. Now, if I, you remember when I said if you were to pass your finger round it, you would cover it all sort of spirals around each other and that's exactly what happens with your knitting. So you just keep knitting round and round and round and if you put a stitch marker at the beginning of your round, which you are strongly advised to do because you'd be botty if you didn't because you can't find where your yarn tail is, um, you will knit round and notice that the first time you see the stitch marker again it's not between the two points on your needle that you're knitting but it's on the cable directly below it. And so you've actually done half a round. And when you go around again and come back and the stitch marker comes between the points and you have to transfer it, that's when you've done a complete round. So Heike showed us this and never... It's a good job I didn't turn on my voice recorder because I would have lost many listeners, I suspect. Never have I heard such mutterings and grumbles and 
well, the air was nearly blue um, as we were all attempting this cast on, which isn't really a difficult cast on at all. It just, it's very awkward and it feels like you're stretching um, the stitches at one point and it's a little bit fiddly to work with. So I would think the next time I try one, what I might do is use my nitpicks but use the shorter points the ones that you're advised to use for um, the 40 centimeter cable um, because that might mean that you've got a little bit more wriggle room as you're attempting to um, pick up the stitches in between the original cast on um, but absolutely fascinating so you know once we'd mastered the cast on and actually got our stitches cast on and set up and ready we then needed to decide which pattern we were going to uh, knit and she had provided us with two one was a lace pattern which looks absolutely delightful but I did chicken out and decide that attempting the Mobius and attempting some lace in a workshop situation was likely to be a recipe for disaster um, I wanted to just concentrate and get my head on how the the knitting grew with the Mobius rather than have to worry about lace patterns uh, and I'm really glad I did because the people who did try the lace pattern said that although it's not a complex lace pattern because you were going round and round it was quite easy to miss um, a particular stitch where you had to knit one and slip one over um, and so there was a bit of you know ripping out and starting again or tinking back um, so I didn't do that one. I did the a simple cowl that just had an eyelet pattern um, every few rows and then was finished off um, with a little frilly flare out um, edging. So Heike gave us all a bowl of Rowan felted tweed, um, the original Rowan felted tweed to use um, so I had a brown one kind of donkey coloured um, very nice actually nice donkey colour I like donkey colour um, and then she gave us if we were doing the simple eyelet pattern with the flared edging she gave us some uh, rowing silk haze to put on the end and she gave me a, a fantastic the marmalade one which is a bright orange as it was I ended up not using that and um, I went and bought a ball of a paler um, sort of almost like a burnished apricots not right really but it's more apricotty um, but it was a lovely colour and went beautifully with the brown and I have to say I got most of it knitted up yesterday it's just that my head was nodding and I was really tired so I couldn't quite finish the last round um, of increases that I was doing um, in the kid silk haze and the cast off so I finished that today um, so that is my officially my second finished product for project for 2011 which is a very nice Mobius cow. Um, I haven't put it up on Ravelry yet, but uh, hopefully by the time I've got this podcast out, I will have done. Um, so the details will be there. Um, I'm not sure if Heike has put the pattern up um, on Ravelry. I know she's mentioned it in her blog, um, which is at www.knitsisters. That's K N I T S I S T E R hyphen mad about yarn M A D A B O U T Y A R N 
www.blogspot.com. I will put um, a link up there for that blog. Um, but her blog's really interesting um, because she's a designer as well as a teacher, as well as a Rowan consultant. And on Thursday, she actually launched a store, uh, a brand new website store called Knit Sisters, which is a yarn and pattern and product site um, that, as she says, is um, a kind of almost like a portal for design artisans. So um, there are uh, a number of people on there. I only recognise Hiker's name and also Deborah Bamford, who is Miss Deborah of the Mulberry Dyer. So she's selling yarns through this site. Um, Hiker is selling um, patterns and um, I'm wondering if she's also um, selling some of the beautiful um, extra products on there. There's also Lise Lunt, Anna Maria Gittins um, of Bead Candy, who um, does lots of stitch markers, um, Fagin Kakia of KB Yarns, who's a British expat living in Turkey, um, and there's a whole host of products on their website that you can have a look at. So that only launched on Thursday. That is www.knitsisters.co.uk, um, and I'll put a link up for that as well. Um, but she's put up pictures of the Mobius cows that she designed for this workshop, and I have to say it was one of the most interesting workshops that I've been on. And I'm delighted to say that Fibre and Clay are running another one of it. So if you are in the northwest area and you'd like to find out about Mobius knitting and you'd like some wonderful hand-holding through the, this simplified Mobius cast-on, Hiker is really good tutor. Um, very, very funny, but took her time with everyone who was individually struggling at various points um, and was able to give lots of advice. Uh, so Fibre and Clay are hosting another um, Mobius Knitting Workshop on the 17th, Saturday the 17th of September. Um, Heike is also doing um, two more of her Tunisian crochet workshops at Fibre and Clay on Saturday the 10th of September and Saturday the 15th of October. Um, do you remember I wanted to go on that, told you all about it on the blog and then uh, on, the, on the podcast and then got to the <laughs> got to go and book it and um, you'd all beat me to it I think because um, the last few places had gone um, that very day <laughs> serve me right really isn't it but um, I'm booked on for the September one so I'm looking forward to that and I know I could learn a lot of these techniques by looking at YouTube YouTube is a wonderful resource um, and there are plenty of websites, but there's nothing beats actually having a real-life flesh-and-blood person there to be able to say, look, why is it doing this? <laughs> and have them answer you. Um, so, And I just enjoy the, the whole camaraderie of the, the workshops. Workshops at Fibre and Clay are £45. Um, that's for um, the workshop from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. Uh, usually includes materials and... Uh, also includes lunch at a local cafe, which is very nice. Um, I can heartily recommend their um, their salads. Very nice. So that was yesterday. So linking into me 
what's on my needles section, um, it was uh, this weekend a Mobius cowl made out of felted tweed and kid silk haze, which is uh, really rather nice. Um, I've tried to get some photos of it, but it, it, it doesn't look so great as I'm modelling it, probably because I'm trying to wear it, model it with a collared shirt and I'm too lazy to swap my top. It's not a deep cowl that will allow you to hide your chin um, and snuggle behind it like those Colourscape chunky um, cowls that I made for Christmas. Um, but it does sit nicely around your neck and is nice and snug and will keep your draught out when um, it's still sort of a, a drafty day. Besides that, I have of course been um, soldiering on gamefully with my, um, or gamely, and game, gainfully, I should say, um, with the sock yarn blanket. It is a bit of a monster now. It's, um, it really is. It's, you know, growing upward, um, over two foot in some places, and uh, I haven't done a square count lately. Um, I'm just going to be swapping in some more colours over the next um, week or so. Martine over at the iMake um, podcast is making a shawl using the same technique and her aim is that she will have no squares in that made from the same yarn. So consequently she needs lots of little small bits. Well I've got lots that I can swap with her and so she's been doing a little bit of a swap with the listeners on her podcast so um, I've sort of muscled in on that <laughs> um, but you know it's nice to have a bit of variety I have to say it's um, I've you know got some gorgeous colours go- absolutely gorgeous colours on the um, latest um, UK Blanky Mania bag swap that I did so it's been really nice to um, to get some fresh colours in there it's I just love it. I just really like working on it. It's nice and mindless, and I don't have to think too much. Um, But, of course, I originally said when I cast it on in 2009 that I was aiming to have it done by the 2012 Olympics. And we're now talking, uh, what, 15 months? No, maybe 16? I don't know. I'm not sure that I would do it. If I'd worked on it last year, I think I might have done. But, you know, I've put it by, and maybe it's just not going to happen now. I'm not sure. Anyway, I've had a lovely time working on it and, you know, I will put it down soon, no doubt, because I'd like to actually... I've decided what I want to do is I want to clear a whole load of the things that are outstanding in my works in progress because I'm just feeling... They're they're not getting me down, but I seem to have a lot of stuff hanging around and partly boxed up and partly done. So I think I might frog a few things and start again on some of them. Um, partly because I don't think I've necessarily kept up with where I was up to. Um, and, you know, sort of have a bit of a, a refresh. I am finished school on Friday for the spring break. So um, although I've got quite a bit of work um, to do and I'm going away um, for some of that time. I will um, definitely have a, a bit of a air of all the works in progress and have a look at them and see in a rationalisation I think because I want to clear some of this stuff out. I mean I want to get that bag finished, you know the the big felted one with the Nora Correa on. I mean it's just I'm on the straps. It's not 
the straps and then some, you know, suck it up eye cord. And then I can felt it and it's done. You know, why is it hanging around? And and lots of things like that. And, you know, I'm sitting here working on this modular square blanket. Well, it's exactly the same thing as the modern quilt wrap. Well, I've now had two winters I've gone through where I've not been able to wear that. So I need to get that out of the way. I, I just, I want to have a good shake up and tidy up, I think. So um, I also need to sort out the stash. It's I've been sort of throwing it into the little bedroom and it, it's the little bedroom's a bit horrific now I've kind of you can stand in the doorway and then after that there really isn't much carpet space anywhere so it's definitely time to clear it all out have it give it a good shake down box up the fleece plop properly because it's not in any boxes um, and then see where we go from there I think so straighten it all out so that's what's been on my needles um, over the last couple of weeks now onto something I really like for this week my something I really like is, is something very well it's ephemeral really it's nothing you can really put your finger on but it's that excitement that you get when you start planning a trip my husband and I are considering our summer holiday plans we last year I went to Nick Camp and we didn't go on holiday together. We went to his parents for a couple of days and, and that was it really. Um, so this year I'm determined that we're going to um, have a great time together. He's just had uh, a wee bonus, so we're going to use that um, to um, fund part of our travels. Isn't it terrible? We should be being very responsible and putting it in the savings, you know, in this troubled times of recession <laughs> we've actually both decided that actually no what we need is we need to go and go and find somewhere and explore somewhere we've never been before whenever we talk about holidays I'm always torn between wanting to go and discover something new and returning to something or somewhere I really really love I love going to Italy particularly Bologna absolutely adore going to Bologna uh, and I'm seriously gutted that these days it's very difficult to fly to Bologna um, you certainly can't fly there direct from Manchester anymore you used to be able to, I think you can from Gatwick but Gatwick is a real faff to get to from where we live, it's completely the wrong side of, of London and it's just oh it's a nightmare, don't want to do it so we tend to, if we go to Bologna we tend to actually uh, fly to Milan now and take the train, uh, it's a couple of hours train journey I think, but I like Italian trains, they're very clean and they seem to run on time a lot and easy to find your way around the other place I really love to go to and would love to go back to is New York um, haven't been to New York since I've started knitting again so obviously I'd like to go and have a little poke around um, some of the New York yarn st shops because there are supposed to be some amazing ones and uh, you know there's, there's a lot to be said for going back on holiday to a familiar place Especially one that you really enjoy. But there's another part of me that wants to go exploring. So what we're toying with the idea of um, this year is maybe going out, you know, sort of California way or southwest of the States. Um, my husband doesn't tend to like going away much um, because he goes away for his job. So he's a bit of a homebody. But he actually said that he'd really fancy going to San Francisco. So... We got all excited and decided that maybe we could do something 
um, around San Francisco and somewhere else and go for sort of 10 days or maybe two, even two weeks, <laughs> which is quite a laugh because the pair of us have never been on a two-week holiday um, together at all. I've never been on a two-week holiday full stop. The longest holiday I've ever had um, has been 10 days. And um, I think he did two-week holidays when he was a child camping, but I don't think, well, neither of us are going to be camping again. Really, my back doesn't sort of stand up to it. But then when we, we looked at it, we, we looked at um, how San Francisco's airport is sometimes prone to fog, um, which can cause cancellations with the flight. So when we're looking at alternatives, um, looking at flying in to Oakland, that meant instead of just changing at Newark, um, we'd also have to change somewhere else. So then, change makes it sound like a train, doesn't it? But you know what I mean. Um so then we looked, and, and one of the flights that came up was to fly to Newark, then on to Denver, um, and then on to Oakland. So then we thought, well, maybe we could do, you know, actually stop at Denver and then maybe do a bit of a fly drive. Um, so I went and bought a book, and then I bought a map, and then I realised that, by my reckoning, as the crow flies, Denver to San Francisco is probably about a 1,000 miles. So maybe that's not what we necessarily want to be doing in all of our holiday because you know you could do it in five days couldn't you and only have but you'd, you'd still be traveling 200 miles a day and would you see much i mean i'd be all right because i wouldn't be the one doing the driving but you know so you know i'm not sure quite but what it has done is it's made us look at that corner that southwest bit of the states of colorado airport so i'm really intrigued by what i can see there i've never been further west than um, well, <laughs> Chicago really, but I've never come out of Chicago O'Hare Airport, so I don't suppose that really counts. Um, the Eastern Seaboard, I've been to the Eastern Seaboard, um, and that's it. My husband has been to LA um, on business. I think he was actually over there um, at the, uh, you know, that scandalous Nipplegate um, <laughs> episode of, of uh, the Super Bowl, which he said was actually a case of you blink and you missed it said he wasn't even aware it happened. Um, and he was watching the game around someone's house, so which just made me laugh. Um, so he's been to to around um, California and, uh, you know, has, has walked along part of the beaches around there, but hasn't really done it as a holiday. He was just there on business, and they had a day or so between some meetings where he and a colleague um, just did a little bit of exploring, but not much. I mean, enough to get seriously sunburned in January because they didn't put any sunscreen on and then walked along the Pacific coast. Duh. Um, but that's what we're kind of... That's my something I really like at the moment. It's the anticipation of, you know, plotting out where we're going to go, what we're going to do, where we're going to land, where we're going to drive to. I really like this kind of idea of exploring bits of small-town America. I, um, I, I've stayed in cities. I've stayed in Philly. I've stayed in New York. I've stayed in Washington. But when we went to D.C. Um, about 18 months ago, we left D.C. Um, a couple of days before, well, the day before we were due to fly home. And we actually drove up um, through Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, um, stayed in um, Lancaster County. And it was just, I was fascinated. I was fascinated by driving through, you know, real America, if you like. That doesn't mean that the cities aren't real, but not all of Britain is like London. 
and yet so many people will only, you know, to visitors to the country will only ever see London. And it's exactly the same in America, isn't it? The cities aren't representative of where the bulk of the 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 country is, and the you know the way that many people live. And I'm just absolutely fascinated, and I want to to go and explore it. I was blown away when I went to stay in um, Qatar a couple of years ago by desert landscapes um, and all the sand dunes. Now, I'm not convinced that any of the bits of deserty bit around the southwest of the states are necessarily sand duny, but I just love contrasts, seeing things that are completely different. So I'm just really fired up in terms of planning this big trip, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think part of it as well might be I've got a, a young cousin who's currently um, touring South America and um, part of me is consumed with jealousy, absolutely consumed with jealousy. Although I'm realistic enough to know that um, when I was at her stage of life, i.e. just having graduated, I was in no way, shape or form, the confident youngness that she is. And there's no way I would have gone travelling even with friends the way she has um, at that age. I just felt that it was, you know, I'd done my time at uni and it was time I got out and got into the real world and worked my debts off. Um, and I certainly didn't have the courage to go travelling. And now, of course, now I'm old enough and think, yeah, I'd love to go travelling. You know, you have a mortgage, don't you, and a, and a job and responsibilities and you can't. But um, I'm sort of merrily dreaming my um, Southwest American odyssey at the moment. So I would love to hear your suggestions of um, where you think we should visit. You know, if you're thinking about that whole of area, like I say, we haven't firmed anything up, we have no flights yet organised. So, you know, obviously the doozer when you look at the map is, you know, well, if you're in that area, surely you've got to go and just stick your nose into the Grand Canyon, you know. But... What else is there to see around there? If you live in that area of the States or you've ever visited the Southwest um, or you're in California, then, you know, give me a, a, a pointer. Where do you think I should go? What routes would you suggest on a, a brilliant journey driving through some of these states? I'm really, really looking forward to it and I'd love to, to get your suggestions and ideas. Okay, so that's something I really like, planning holiday trips. Now, in terms of upcoming events, I'm aware that this is uh, going on for quite a while, this episode, so I am sorry about that. Sorry if it's a bit of a, a biggie. Even once I've edited some of the bits out, it's going to be quite a, a hefty one, I suspect. But um, in terms of upcoming events, there's obviously workshops that I've mentioned already at Fibre and Clay. In two weeks' time, it is Wonderwall Wales. That's the... 9th and 10th of April at the Royal Welsh Showground at Bilth Wells. So that's um, forthcoming. I still don't know whether I'm going to go or not, um, but I suspect that um, I'm going to go and stay with my parents around that time. And, you know, although it's not a direct route by any stretch of the imagination, I could possibly just detour through Wales and pop in. Because, I mean, it'd be rude not to, really, wouldn't it? Do you think? <laughs> that sounds terrible, isn't it? I really am kind of make excuses to go. Um, but there we are. 
And then in June, you have Woolfest. That's in Cockermouth in Cumbria. That's going to be Friday the 24th and Saturday the 25th of June. We are um, hoping to put together a trip from the Spinning Guild, so I'm hoping to get there this year. It'll be the first time ever, because I've not been before. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. There will be details about that um, on their website, www.woolfest.co.uk, and I'll put up links on the show notes. And then we've also got um, Knit Nation coming up in July, and I know that seems like a long time, but I've already had people that I met in um, at, at knit camp suggesting that uh, you know they're coming down from Scotland, and will they be? You know, will we be going? Things like that. So um, I'm not sure. Um, let me see, I'm trying to find it. Here it is. Uh, Friday the 15th of July, Saturday the 16th of July, and Sunday the 17th of July. This is, I can't find on this website actually where everything is. I'm wondering if it is again at, um, at, um, okay, no, I can't see. Um, no, I can't find anywhere on here on this website. Isn't that just dreadful? I'm assuming it's at Imperial College again, but I can't find it, so please don't take my word for that. Um, so there's Cookie A courses. Um, Franklin Habit's going to be there. Um, Susan Crawford, who I interviewed last year, um, is going to be there doing vintage fit and finishing. Um, Anne Hansen will be there um, there's some courses on um, Bohus which obviously that gorgeous colour work from Scandinavia um, Clara Parks from Nish's Review um, so and then some names that I don't recognise uh, Marjan Hamnink but that doesn't mean that they're not well known Oh, Carol Feller's um, there. Carol Feller is lovely. I met Carol Feller when we were at um, Knit Camp last summer. She's a lovely Irish lady. Really nice. I shall put a link up to some of her patterns. I've bought some of her patterns and they're some really nice patterns. Um, yeah, so there are half-day courses or full-day courses. Half-day courses are £50. Full-day classes are £100, um, which is quite quite pricey, really, isn't it? Um, there are registration goes live at the end of April so that's when you can book your classes um, so that looks quite good the trouble is it clashes with um, a spinning function um, it's the, the weekend of spinning guild so um, I don't know if I'll be able to go on the Saturday um, and it's a bit, with it being term time still, it's quite difficult to get back after a Sunday. So I don't know yet. I don't know whether I'll be going to that. But, you know, like I say, people have already contacted me going, how are you going? And it's like, oh, yes, quite possibly I'd like to. 
there are people um, talking from Nick Group about going down as well on Saturday. So, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that. But that's in July. So that's Knit Nation. And that in details on that can be found at www.knitnation.co.uk. Although I have to say, um, I've not found that um, website very easy to negotiate. But that might just be because it's not fully live yet. And maybe it'll be better in April. And uh, I think that's that's it from me. Apart from, I'm just going to say something here, which I just I feel absolutely dreadful about this. Last weekend, I caught up on a whole load of podcasts. I haven't been listening to podcasts for ages, and I caught up on um, three episodes of uh, Cognitive with Dr. Gemma, and was mortified to realise that I have missed the Mother Bear um, knit along and crochet along this year. Um, she did it last year and I made the little bear using the mother bear pattern and I'm really really sorry Dr Gemma that I missed it this year however I am determined that I am still going to make a bear even though I've missed her knit along and I can't do it at that I have got the patterns and I have got some labels left over from last year so I am going to knit a mother bear bear if you also would like to knit a mother bear bear then i will put the link up in the show notes mother bear is an organization that acts as a broker if you like so that people knit or crochet bears to a standard pattern that can be purchased from them and the idea is that you the money used to buy the pattern and also the money you send when you send your bear to her are used to help ship the bears out to various parts of the world where children who are suffering from AIDS or HIV or who are orphaned by HIV or AIDS and have very little um, are given a bear just to show them that someone somewhere loves them. And I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. And... Dr. Gemma mentioned me a couple of times in the last couple of episodes of, pod, of, the, of her podcast and I'm really, really sorry that I hadn't been listening and I wasn't up to speed. So I am going to do one, Dr. Gemma. It's not within your timescales for the Cal Cal, but I am going to do one and I will put a link. So if you're interested, in, they are very simple patterns and the bears are really sweet. So I will put those links up on the show notes. And with that, I'm going to say... Thanks for listening. All of the websites and links that I've mentioned will be in the show notes. And I wish you happy knitting, crocheting, spinning, whatever it is you choose to do with yarn to make you relax. Bye. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plane. Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plane show page yarnsfromtheplane.podbean.com If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me at yarnsfromtheplane at googlemail.com or message me on Ravelry, where I'm Tales from the Plane. Until next time, take care, and thanks for listening. <laughs>